Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to a different kind of walk. Dun da da. Yabba dabba do. <laughs> Hey friends, really quick before we get started, I want to do a short plug about a different kind of walks budget. Our annual budget is $15,000, which pays for our website, our domain, our podcast subscription, and my salary as the sole editor and creator of the website and podcast episodes. This past spring, we raised $10,000 toward our budget thanks to amazingly generous donors. This month, I want to see if we can find that last $5,000 before the Christmas crazy starts. I'll be honest, that's essentially $1,000 a month to me as a part-time job, and it specifically pays for my family's health insurance. So if you're enjoying what you're hearing at a different kind of walk and you'd like to help sustain it until next spring, you can donate at a differentkindofwalk.com slash donate. Thanks for your time. Now, enjoy the episode. So, hi, welcome back to A Different Kind of Walk. We have a surprise for you. We are adding a new co-host. Susan and I have had a blast and uh, we want to continue to have a blast. And so we're adding to that blast a third co-host. So Scotty Miser, who's not a miser. Is that true, Susan? Does he he not not, hoard things? He is not miserly at all or stingy. It means something else. So Miser means something else. Scotty, what does miser mean? M-E-I-S-E-R, I believe, uh, comes from a word meaning fowler, uh, someone who hunts birds. Oh, so you hoard birds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Conway uh, from County Mayo in Ireland means Hound of the Plain, which I always imagined Heathcliff on the moors with his hound next to him and his chin the actual dog chin tilted slightly up um, towards arrogance. Uh, oh. But when I did further research, County Mayo is one of the poorest counties was in <laughs> Ireland. And um, a better description of Hound of the Plain was scavenger dog. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. So not so noble. My maiden name is Holman, which is English. And it means holy man. Oh. So. My goodness. Here we are on the plains hunting birds like dogs. And praying. While Susan is a a clergy. She's a a clergy person. Holy person. Holy man. (laughs) Holy man. Do you know why I say it that way? No. Dancing with wolves. Yes. No, that's the. I did the same thing. Okay. That's my favorite movie. Yeah. It's it was Barrett's too when he was three years old, which was 100% inappropriate. I didn't That's realize <laughs> he just liked to watch the Buffaloes run and he would sit and watch TV as I was doing things. And I would walk out and there'd be bow and arrows and different yeah. horrible things a three year old should not be watching. But um, nakedness and. Uh, oh, is there? Yeah. Well, if it's on TV, maybe. Uh-huh. Just butts. I don't know. That's a pretty great scene when Kevin Costner like scratches his butt. (laughs) (laughs) You're not sounding like a holy man right now talking about 
Kevin yeah. Costner. It's a really good movie. Just don't watch it with your like 13 year old daughter. It's a little awkward. Yeah, don't let your three year old child watch it either. <laughs> I won't let my 13 year old daughter or my three year old child watch this. Okay, you've got that all. All right. So, but you have less than a year of marriage. So I don't think you have a 13 year old child yet. Slightly more than a year of marriage. Oh, slightly actually. more. Yeah. The anniversary? anniversary on the 9th. Yes. Oh, congratulations. Thank you very much. So what's the first year anniversary gift? Uh, It's the paper anniversary. Okay. Um, So that would be good for you. Julie framed my uh, my master's degree for me. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Shoot. What did I give her? Uh (laughs) I made her a card. Oh yeah, we wanted to go. We wanted to go really small. Like we went back. We went on a date to the restaurant where we um, where we had our first date. We hadn't been back since. Very romantic. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, just tell us what would you like to talk about? What's your favorite college football team, Oregon Ducks? And yeah, one other thing. Uh, my interests include literature of written and drawn comic styles, nature, fantasy, science fiction, and I just helped write a book on birds. I love playing Dungeons and Dragons, and I love poetry, and I want to talk about all those things, and I don't follow college football. So your um, favorite team is... The Buckeyes. <laughs> Long, hard pause, glare. Speaking of the Oregon Ducks, Jeff, what uh, what kind of duck is the mascot for the Oregon Ducks? The kind of duck is the Disney version of Donald Duck. Um. So no pants, but jacket, gloves, and hat. Kind That's of thing. exactly right. And that was most people on the Oregon campus when I went there. <laughs> <laughs> and because, um, you know, it rained, so you needed the jacket and the hat. Uh, Disney had a challenge with the university. Um, oh, no kidding. How many years back it was that they said, Donald Duck is ours, not yours. Oh. And you're going to have to change the drawing of your mascot. And so there was a big scramble, but they finally found a handwritten note uh, from Disney himself saying the University of Oregon can use the logo of Donald Duck for as long as they want. Wow. That's why he is still a shirted, hatted, no panted fighting duck. Um, No, you know, what I'd really like uh, to talk about today is kind of two things and introduce you, Scotty, because so we've had a number of people who have surprised me talking about anxiety over the past year and a half that comes up at different times. And no, I I wanted to 
to visit a little bit scripturally anxiety and talk about deconstruction so we can see how far we go. Um, so can I complain for a second? Sure. As the only person in this Zoom space who does not deal with chronic illness, I get headaches all the time from being on the computer. I would love to have two days in a row where I didn't get a headache and have to take migraine medicine. And even though I love doing the podcast, I would also love to not have a computer job where I sit all day because at least in my way of thinking, if I had a more active job, then, then I wouldn't have to get up early in the morning to exercise before everyone else wakes up. And so to tie this all back to anxiety, I stress out about getting enough exercise so my body is healthy so I can do my job. And then I also stress out that I don't want to be on the computer all day because I get a headache. So it's like this catch 22 sort of thing. There you go. That's my complaining. Had to puke that out for a second. She needed to get that out of the way before before our, our struggles dwarf yours. Is uh, that the, yes. the worry? Well, I don't think that does dwarf it. I mean, migraines are awful. I mean, that's challenging your day. You're just speaking, you know, the journey that it doesn't hit the same way, but it certainly works on your journey all day. And the fact that we don't ever experience just one thing, like, you know, Susan, you and I and Jeff are all living in this world with screens. And gosh, I wish I could just disconnect from screens. And there's this, I think in the collective consciousness, we build this fantasy of like, if I could just live in the woods, like for a while, could live in the woods and eat nuts and berries and 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 play with the beasts of the field but like then i also have to remind myself well i am a diabetic so that would only last as long as i have refrigerated insulin for and so that anxiety though real cannot meet full idyllic anti-technological fruition and then even when we're seeking spiritual peace, I think even in, in prayer, um, realizing that a lot, I think a lot of Christian tradition, we, we tend to aim our prayer towards forgetting the body. And when I think of going into a, a contemplative prayer space, you know, the idea is that you, you get beneath the physical world beneath doing you get beneath thinking and you get beneath feeling and then eventually you just rest in being and there you will find god is the idea but i'm walking in there with like an insulin pump that's giving me crucial data that i would be mistaken to not pay attention to you know so like there's this part of my conscious thinking brain that can't ever really shut off because my diabetes does not care you know and i think that like also just complicates so many so many talks about about health is that intersectionality i guess i feel like i don't let go of my body when i get to the being place 
I, I hear what you're saying and and I I'm spoken about it, written about it, encouraged people with it that um you know you're doing so much for God uh that you're not allowing space to be with God. Mm-hmm. Uh and in that being for me does not mean moving away from my body. Uh, I can't move away from my body like you can't move away from your body because my muscles are twitching all the time and, you know, movement is happening everywhere all the time. And so my body's there. Being a doer naturally, I had to learn to be with God. Um, And I'm glad I did that before this last kind of thing hit me because I'm being with God with my body. Uh, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm, I'm needing to separate that to feel the pleasure, uh, the love and the grace that I get to in those prayers. It's awesome. Which I guess goes back to the Psalms. It's so helpful to me to hear different emotions because I don't have emotional language. Typically, um, I come from the head more. It's it's great to hear the emotions of the Psalms, uh, even though, you know, when when I read about the rage that's in the Psalms at times, I like, what are you so angry about? <laughs> <laughs> a little alien. Why do you want gnashing of teeth? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Jeff, you're, you and I have talked about the idea that you don't necessarily experience your body as an enemy. Um, Which which is interesting because if anyone could see their body as an enemy, I feel like you could, but you, I don't know if that's just a gift of God that you, you were born with the personality that you have with the joy that you have or whatever. Um, But I do feel like it's rare. And for a lot of Christian history, or at least the middle part of Christian history, like people definitely encourage that idea of like, you know, the body is base, the body is carnal, the body is sinful. If we can just raise our spirits, if we can just focus on our spirits, our souls, if we can just enlighten ourselves, um, you know, we'll never fully be at peace until we can leave the body behind. That sort of idea. And yet the thing is... I don't want to flip the conversation, but it sounds like what you're talking about goes to the other part that that we can talk about later is that deconstruction, is that I think people have been trained that they have to completely erase their body and just be spiritual. I look at my body and I'm fascinated. I'm like... I'm not moving a single part of my body and I can watch my muscles ripple. That is wild and really kind of cool. Even though it's a broken body doing it, it's not functioning properly. It's still crazy interesting to me. And yeah. yeah. There are a lot of people at this point doing embodied spirituality. A lot of people in a younger generation are doing trying to focus more on this idea of embodiment and our bodies aren't bad things you know when in christian theology if we are actually resurrected from the dead in the end you know jesus still has a body like 
the new heavens and new earth is a physical thing. We should be able to, our bodies will be redeemed, you know? So like, let's figure out how to do spirituality inside of, with our bodies, you know? Um, So that's, yeah, maybe Jeff, you're just ahead of the curve. I mean, I would not say that that about me in any way. (laughs) You know, Oh, did I cut you off, Jeff? No, I was just going to say, I've never been accused of being ahead of the curve in anything. You can't say that anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, and Susan, I, I think it's just so... In the Christianity I grew up with, the idea was a lot of denial, a lot of stay away from this thing and that thing and that action and that worldview because... That way lies outside of God. Once you're there, you're outside of the pride lands. You're outside of everywhere the light touches. Um, And as I've grown, I have found when my contemplative practice is successful, which is not a very contemplative way to talk about a contemplative practice, Mm -hmm. but I've, I've found the most the most fruitful contemplation when it moves me in a direction, not of looking around me and just seeing distractions and God like slapping me on the back of the hand and saying, not that, not that, not that focus on the spiritual, not that, not that, not that. My contemplative practice that's been most fruitful has been that which moves in the direction of even that, even that, even that. And that thing distracting you is like, oh, God, God's there too. Let's pray into that. Like, these don't have to be things distracting you from God. Because I don't know if there is a from God, if we're talking about a being who is being itself. Right. Psalm 139 tells us there's not a place that we can be without God. So there's not, I don't mean to want to be a proof texter here, but I mean, that's my psalm this week. So when you said that, I'm like, yeah, I mean, (laughs) even the darkness is not dark to God. I mean, God is there in the darkness with us and brings that light. Uh, not cheeriness all the time, not happiness all the time, not jello and pudding all the time, but mm-hmm. um, leaning into the presence with. And when you talked about wanting to go out into the woods and, you know, leave everything behind. Uh, first of all, have you ever lived in Oregon? There are a lot of woods where I grew <laughs> up and it rains all the time. And there's a lot of you know, creatures that aren't overly pleasant in the woods. So that's not a place. And that's actually been a journey for me because I took nature for granted uh, Mm. because I looked at snow cap peaks year round in the valley and I had crashing waves, like not lips of waves, but like real crashing waves off the Oregon coast that People don't realize because it's so rocky there, but um, I kind of took that for granted. And and when people said, oh, I need to go into nature to find God, I was kind of like, why? But um, uh, I do get that more now, uh, especially after the Camino. 
I get the nature part now. It just took me a while to get back to that. Well, Jeff, I will say that even in this, you're just completely miles ahead of everybody because typically uh, people only feel like God is outside and out in nature. And it takes a lot of training, retraining for them to start to see God all around them, even in the city and even in other people. So. Oh boy. I mean, there is nothing like New York city on a hot muggy day when you walk past a garbage filled alley. I feel like there's nothing better. You need to start leading contemplative hikes through, <laughs> through, through New, New York. York, through sanitary landfills. And, I could yeah. do it. I mean, yeah. I absolutely love every part of concrete because I, you know, grew up around so many trees and rivers and streams. It's and so funny. Yeah. Susan, you you grew up with different from Jeff and I with a relationship to the land and to the outside. Do you feel that as a child or today, you that that's shaped your view of God or of spirituality? Yeah, for sure. Growing up, I mean, my parents have a thousand acres of land and that I could just wander around in. And, you know, they own a thousand acres of land, but then at the edge of their land is other people's land. It's not, it's not the thousand acres ends and then there's city. Like it's just, there's just nothing. But On corn. One hand, thankfully where I'm at, it's mostly prairie grass, okay. not cornfields, but there are some cornfields. Anyway, on one hand, that was very lonely. But on the other hand, whenever I was in spaces of doubt, in my faith, the thing that always brought me back was the wonder of nature and creation. And honestly, how complex nature is, was the thing that always brought me back to the mystery of God. And I might not understand God. I might not be able to describe God super well, but just the idea that there's gotta be something nature would always bring me back to that. And then mm. I would put my way back up, you know? Right. Yeah. When I think of the parts of home that I miss, uh, looking back to central PA, part of it is driving on roads with trees on either side. And also being able to look up at a sky without much light pollution. Um. It was a thing that I, I didn't even know that I missed when I went into the Philly area. And then coming back was like, oh, holy cow, the stars. And I remembered how much just staring up I did, especially in high school, just looking up and sometimes in an attitude of, you know, specific, explicit, dear God, dot, 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 amen prayer, but sometimes just sitting in awe and in wonder there was a time i remember as i was growing more comfortable with ideas of evolution and ideas of seeking out natural explanations for natural causes not throwing out an idea of god 
but simply I think expanding my view of what the universe was and what the physical world could be rather than just kind of cheaply propped up, but this really huge and awe-inspiring thing. I remember one night at, at church camp, I was working as an assistant program director, so probably early 20s, while I was taking these science classes. And where I looked up, the, where was the camp? Yeah. Uh, in East Waterford, Pennsylvania. If you've heard of it, no, you haven't. No, so is that Central Pennsylvania? Also? <laughs> That's Central PA. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's a it, the name of the camp is the Christian Retreat Center, which is you know the most accurately titled church. Yeah, camp. the most <laughs> clever name I've ever heard. I wonder what they do there. I... <laughs> um, Better than the I... names that they give to senior living facilities. Oh, those are great. No, those are horrible. Um, majestic pines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was at the Christian Retreat Center. It was late one night. And there it's like, oh, the, the sky is amazing. I remember looking up and I remember realizing. Do you ever realize that you're traveling with these like these mental images and you don't even realize that you're holding them until someone kind of pokes at them? And it's like, what's what's really there? I realized for a minute that whenever I prayed and was looking up, I was always imagining the sky, like the roof of the sky, just kind of being arm's length away and God sort of hiding behind it. <laughs> and, it, and and like, I hadn't thought about it critically. It was just the like, ah, God out there always. And as I was looking up at the sky and just, taking these classes for the first time that were really entrenching me in the idea of how large this was, my head immediately went to, well, what if I was, what if I was Superman? How high up could I go and not see God? And it's like, and I imagine, and I imagine, and Superman can not only fly, he can fly fast. So it's like, what if I could go everywhere and look at everything? And like travel to the very limits of the universe and realizing that at no level would there be a white bearded man in the attic waiting for me. Mm -hmm. I all of a sudden just felt this sense of sadness, just mm -hmm. realizing that. And that wasn't the end of the journey. That wasn't the end of the exploration, but it was a growing pain realizing that if I'm going to continue to view the universe in this way and explore the universe and the ideas in it in this way. I can either shrink the universe back down or my idea of God is going to have to expand. Mm -hmm. Something's something's going to have to give. Did you see the picture yesterday that came out from the new telescope? No, what what came out? It was a picture of Superman way up. No. <laughs> yes. So pulling back the curtain. And there's I'm, God. I'm gonna totally scientifically mess this up. But they were calling it the place where stars are born and not Hollywood. But it was very tubular. The pillars of creation. Uh, I mean, it was just, 
incredible. So look it up. The stars are so important to me, mm. not because God is on the other side of those stars, but because it's the universe and it's, you know, we don't, we don't know how big it is. We don't, we can't fathom how big it is, but I mean, even coming back from St. James under the stars, which is kind of a slaughtered interpretation of Santiago de Compostela because of all the languages, the Gaelic, the everything that's blended together, they're not quite sure, but that's the typical definition of the place of Santiago de Compostela is St. James under the stars. Mm. There's something comforting for me about stars. Um, going back to, Scotty, your idea of the pictures we carry with us that mm -hmm. we don't really realize all the time that we carry with us. So recently scripture often uses the, the male analogy for God, you know, father, son. And so that's, that's a legit analogy, but if we're going to use some other ones, there are also female analogies in scripture for God. And so I feel like recently I've been taking a lot of comfort in, you know, instead of being like, dear God saying like, dear mommy. Hmm. And specifically for some reason, I have no idea why specifically the image that I get in my head when I'm saying dear mommy is if you've seen the first wonder woman film, that came out a few years ago, the first one, not Wonder Woman, but her mother, this tall, muscular, warrior, crowned, like, badass god. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, yeah. I'm like, this is mommy god to me. I'm just like, this, yeah. is, a very, this is a very interesting image. Go see Woman King. Patty and I went to it yesterday. I have not heard of it. What is it? It's based on a true story in Africa and fighting slave traders. So go right. see that. Because when you're talking about that warrior woman image. Nice. Um, Viola Davis. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, one of the things I like about the book, The Shack, is how God changes gender at different times when the person needed a different gender in different ways. And that was more, I suppose, I don't want to say sexist. I don't want to go that far and say that. But it was certainly the image when, when he really needed to be comforted first. God was there as a woman. Uh, when he needed to do something really hard with his father because of his own relationship with his father, God was there as a man, but we know through scripture that God is spirit, period. Um, not male or female. Or both male and female. Yeah. It, it's not about it's not a gender issue. Yeah. Susan, I I wanna I wanna get this right, but you know, as you're thinking about 
because when you when you switch the gender metaphor mm -hmm. when you flip the gender metaphor i find it interesting that this this matriarchal uh image this hippolyta is still bearing a lot of strength and a lot of like things that i think would be less comforting perhaps at least culturally on on um on a male shaped mm -hmm. metaphor mm -hmm. um it, it just it made me think of this it made me think of this study recently i believe th there were like two groups and they were both told stories of a very powerful and decisive and commanding monarch and nothing in the story changed except whether it was about a king or about a queen and then at the end both groups were asked to talk about their impressions of that character and under the exact same actions the king was viewed much more negatively as like well that's that's domineering that's uh whereas the whereas the feminine image they trusted the the metaphor a bit more they trusted the figure a bit more ah gender is just so culturally loaded and i think it's yeah i think it's great when people can be courageous enough to to do a remix on the metaphors because whatever gets you closer to the divine is is the right metaphor yeah i mean typically i envision female god the father as very wise and strong and i envision male jesus as very warm and compassionate and caring whereas you know it's it's fun if you you can do like google searches of uh different kinds of jesus you know there's like hippie jesus and there's warrior jesus and there's like really wimpy jesus there there's just all these different have things. you seen the picture of jesus um in the sistine chapel uh the judgment painting he looks like he belongs in a marvel movie oh yeah he's like warrior god yeah i mean he's just strong and muscled and yeah well, when and you're... Also, like i love the pieta and in mm. that, you know, Mary, the statue, Mary is holding her crucified son and she's massive. Like she is bigger than he is. He is small and dead and fragile and limp. And she, you know, she is holding his whole frame. And it's, it's really, it's really, really beautiful. Um, yeah, but it's first time I ever cried walking towards a sculpture. I just, I, I got it finally. I, I mean, I didn't get the death of Jesus finally. I didn't get who Mary was finally. I got what a sculpture could show. Mm -hmm. Um, it was so real. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. So. As we wrap up, because I know Scotty needs to go, um, admittedly, these are these are images in our head and our ideas of how we see God change over time, both over culture and over history and within our own life spiritual journey. So like, I'm not going to hold any of you to the metaphors that you just used in this conversation, like three years from now, because the metaphors that you're using and how you're seeing God and how you're relating to God is going to change. And that's good. 
That's totally fine. So um, I hope mine is very good in three years, but from a very different place. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. I will talk to you all soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for A Different Kind of Walk. Until next time, live well.